Thanks very much, Anil. Um, it's great to um, be with you. If you can have, if you have your Bibles, um, could you have them out? Actually, we'll, we'll refer to different verses as we go um, down. But as you take it out, let me pray for us that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that your word continue to, uh, continues to pursue us, to shape us. And we pray that your living word will speak to this church and make us a church, a light and salt for this world. Lord, help us to turn to you and commit our lives to you, that we may bring glory um, to you in our daily lives. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Heather was my middle school and high school crush, and Heather wouldn't believe it, um, but she's changed my life in many different ways. Um, it was because of I, uh, Heather I joined the, my high school cross-country team. She was a good runner in the team. She actually ran for high school when she was in middle school. And when I went to high school, I thought, oh, I wanted to run with her. And so I joined the cross-country team. At some point in our conversation, she talked about how her dad wrestled for Yorktown High School team when he, in his old days. And so in that winter, I joined the wrestling team. And can you believe it? With my frame and with my lack of muscle joining the wrestling team. And do you know how much pain it is to join the wrestling team? In our wrestling team was the slogan, no pain, no gain. And there was a lot of pain. <laughs> I did it for her, though I'm pretty sure she's unaware of the sacrifices that I've made for her. That's the thing, isn't it? There are people in our lives, there are things for which we will change our lives. Um, uh, goals in which, uh, for which we will make sacrifices reshape our lives around. It might be for you, your spouse. It might be your job. It might be your children or whatever it is. We have something in our lives that we will always shape our lives around. And the question is, 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 is it God? Is God one of those things that you will shape your lives around? And this parable is a story of people who refuse to shape their lives around. Uh, the call of, of the most important person in their life, for the most important invitation of their lives. So if we look at the beginning of the story, it's, a, it's an awkward moment of the dinner party of, that a prominent Pharisee has thrown. And this man blurts out to fill the silence, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Verse 15. So then Jesus tells a story, story uh, uh, to, to tell people what kind of people will make it to this feast. We're told in verse 16 that this man uh, went and invited many guests. And apparently many people had said yes. They said that they would come. But infuriatingly, at the last minute when everything was ready, and they, uh, he sent the servants out to say, everything is now ready, come. These people declined the invitation, making all sorts of excuses. One man says he has business to attend, verse 18. He just bought a field and he needs to inspect, ins, inspect it. A second man's excuse is also related to his work, isn't it, in verse 19. He says he just bought uh, five pairs of oxen. He needs to test them out. Perhaps the best excuse out of them all, maybe out of the three, is in verse 20. 
The man just got married and he says he can't come. If you think, why can't he come? Well, he's probably, his wife probably doesn't want him to come. Men, you all know this situation in your lives. What they're really saying, though, is that they have plans for their lives. They had things that they had planned, and they're unwilling to change their plans to fit, to accept this invitation. Their priorities are work, business, relationships, and this invitation isn't important enough to change their plans. And look what happens. Look what happens at the end of this story. The man throwing the feast is not understanding. He's angry at their rejection. At the end of the story in verse 24, he declares, I tell you, not one, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Of course, if, if we understand this invitation as just one man's invitation of a party that he's throwing, we might not understand why this man gets so angry. But this isn't just a big party that some man is throwing. Really, the story is about the kingdom of God. It's God's invitation for people to come and join Him and have a relationship with Him, to be with Him. This is God who issued the invitation, and people have made excuses against God. And it's only in this light that we begin to understand why this host, this God, is angry. God is angry at people's rejection of his gracious and generous invitation. You see, we often forget in this culture that God is not sending an invitation as our servants. God is not sending an invitation as our friend even. God is not our buddy. God is our Lord and our maker. The creator of everything. This isn't some girl saying, whispering, you know, my dad wrestled at one point, although she never did actually. Um, This is God saying, come and have fellowship with me. Come and join me. This is an invitation that we must reshape our lives to fit. No matter what our plans for our life was, no matter what our deepest ambitions for our lives were, what we think that we wanted most in life for, we must be willing to change our lives in order to accept this invitation. This is God's invitation for us. Uh, There's this book... um, Working Without Wilting, it's written by uh, Jay Gowen, who used to work at All Souls. Um, and Jay Gowen this tells, in this book tells a story uh, from the film Devil Wears Prada. The main character is Andy, played by Anne Hathaway, who is the personal assistant to Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep. Miranda Priestley is, is a terrifying personality in the fashion industry and a terrible boss. And Andy starts out as a normal person working for this lady, but she quickly gets sucked into the glamour of the fashion world, the power and, and ambition of the fashion world. And in the middle of the film, there's this poignant scene uh, where Andy has an argument with uh, her boyfriend, Nate, because work is consuming her life. They're standing outside of a restaurant um, at night, and Nate is complaining about how she missed his birthday, how she is constantly late for all the dates, and how he hardly sees her ever anymore. And she replies, but Nate, I didn't have a choice. And he looks at her as if to say, of course, of course you have a choice. 
But then her mobile phone rings. She checks it. It's her boss, Miranda Priestley. And there she stands, and she's faced with quite a stark choice to answer the phone or not, to be with uh, Nate or to, to, to answer the call uh, uh, by Miranda Priestley, to choose Nate or Miranda. And there's this pause in that scene as the phone continues to ring, and Andy says, I'm sorry, Nate. And she reaches down and answers the phone. And immediately, Nate responds, the person whose call you always take, that's the relationship that you are in. I hope you two are happy together. Andy always took Miranda's call. She shaped her life around her career. That was the thing. And for these people, it was similar. Their work, their relationship, their ambition, or whatever it is, um, it might be different for us. Status, money, possession, or whatever it is, we shape our lives around these things in our lives. What about us? Whose call do we take? Do we always take? Who or what is the strongest influence in our lives when we make decisions for uh, for ourselves? You know, some of us, maybe even here, have never answered God's call, even now. God's invitation to come and join him, to have a relationship with him, because at the end of the day, we don't like being interrupted. We don't like changing our plans. We don't like changing our priorities, changing our ambitions, changing our dreams. We have never let Christ be our Lord because we didn't want to. We haven't wanted to. Some of us, many of us, hopefully most of us, have invited, have accepted the invitation, but have never changed our lives around to fit Christ, to make Christ at the center of our lives. It's as if, like all these people who've accepted the invitation, I said, yes, yes, I'll come. But actually, their lives have never changed. They were never willing to change their lives to put Christ at the center When the rubber meets the road, we're unwilling to let Christ be our Lord, to be the strongest influence in our lives. Still, we go with status, money, popularity, or whatever it is in our lives. This invitation is with us. If you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that goes out to you. Christ wants you to come and join him. But it's also with us every day as we live our lives. Do we let Christ um, be the strongest influence in the decisions that we make, every decision that we make? Are we willing to shape our lives around Christ? Or are we unwilling? But there might be another reason why people don't accept this invitation. It's not just that, that we have to accept these disruptions that come, having in, inviting Christ as our Lord, It's also the company that we might share uh, if we accept the invitation. So that's the second point. When the first group of people make excuses and reject the invitation, the man sends out his servants, in verse 21, to the streets and to the alleys of the town to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And it doesn't end there. There's more room. And so the, the, the master says to the servants, go out, go out into the country lanes, into the far places, and compel people to come in so that my house may be full. 
I don't know about you, but when I read this, the question that comes to my mind is, is that supposed to be me, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Some person in the, in the alley of the town, some country bumpkin that's sitting out there, are we supposed to be these people? In Hong Kong, we all work really hard to be somebody, don't we? It's a crowded city. Um, it's, the, it, it's people's business to really try to distinguish themselves from other people. We all want to be somebody. When I first came um, to Hong Kong, uh, one of the things that struck me most was, uh, was the bank and how in HSBC, there are three sorts of lines, right? So there's HSBC Premier, and then there's the Advanced, and there's the Normal for all the, the rest of us. This place wants you to distinguish yourself, right? Distinguish yourself, to, to want to belong in the premier line. And so many of you have made it in life, haven't you? I mean, I went to Polytech uh, University to meet somebody, um, and uh, uh, they have this gigantic um, uh, screen there. I saw one of our parishioners um, uh, uh, being interviewed there. And the thing is, we are tempted to bring in that sort of ethos into the church as well, into how we live our Christian lives. We want to work hard to become holy, to be good, to be generous, to be nicer to the, than maybe the people outside of the church. But if this becomes the basis of our judgment of ourselves, then we've lost the gospel, haven't we? All other religions say that we have to be good in order to make it to afterlife, to heaven. Maybe get upgraded from an ant to lizard or something in reincarnation. So even in Christianity, there is, there has always been pressure from the people who have it together to make Christianity about our respectability, about our goodness. And isn't this why so many sinners, so-called sinners, feel so uncomfortable in church? But Christianity says that just as open rebellion against God is a big sin, is a big stumbling block against accepting this forgiveness, that our goodness can be one of the biggest stumbling blocks of receiving Christ's forgiveness. Jesus says that if we are self-righteous, if we think that we are good, that we should be accepted by God, that that is a sin itself, that we need to repent of our self-righteousness. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is for the poor in, in, in heart, for those who are broken, for those who are in need, who, who feel that they are in need. There is something condescending about Christianity, isn't there? Because it calls people who think are good, we call them sinners. God says, you are a sinner. And if you've done any evangelism, people are going to be offended. You've experienced how people are offended by this message. When you say, you are a sinner, people will say, no, I'm not. That's why good people are so annoyed at the gospel. This is why the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. And look at the language in verse 21 and 23. There's a forcefulness in the, in, in the message. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Compel them to come in, in verse 23. Why such language? Well, the thing is, the poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They, 
they don't believe that this feast, this party, can be thrown for them. They just can't believe it. They don't believe that they, 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 they belong in this party. They cannot believe that somebody as generous as this, somebody as gracious as this, would accept them, would want their company. That they don't belong there. And once again, if there are those of you who feel this way, blessed are you, for the, uh, the kingdom of God is poor, for the poor in heart, poor in spirit. And that's how we all felt when we turned to Christ, that we did not deserve this love, that we did not deserve this invitation. And it's only those who realize that they don't belong in this feast who make it to the end. It's only those who realize that they cannot contribute to their salvation in any way come to Christ and accept Christ's forgiveness. Last week, uh, Ryan was baptized, um, and I interviewed him. And the last question that I asked was, why did you become a Christian? Well, why did you turn to Christ? And um, he was too nervous, I think, to say many of the things that we've talked about. Um, uh, but uh, one of the things that he, a few of the things that he told me was, one, one that, I mean, many things. Heather uh, prayed for him for over many, many years. The work of the Holy Spirit, the warmth of the church, um, uh, that removed some of his preconceptions about Christi- uh, Christians sincerity of the people. But one of the things um, that he also uh, told me when he was talking to me was, once again, the realization that he was a sinner. That he was a sinner. That although he hadn't killed anyone, right? That's the thing that people say, I haven't killed anyone. So although he hadn't killed anyone, compared to God's standard, that he was a sinner. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Have we repented of our open rebellion against God? Have we repented also our goodness, of our goodness, trusting in our goodness? And if we accept this invitation and turn to Christ... We are invited into a feast. And I want to end this sermon with this reflection on the fact that this is a feast. This is a feast like you have never seen before. This is a feast that's unimaginably good and joyous. This is a feast thrown by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, at the end of the day to welcome all people who turn to him. And it's not the, it's not an, it's not a coincidence that the first miracle according to Gospel of John is the, the wedding feast in chapter 2, John 2. Do you remember the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine? That's the wedding feast. And it's not just the fact that Jesus turns water into wine that's surprising. And it's not just the quality of wine that is surprising. It's the abundance of wine that's also very surprising. He makes, this is a, um, this is a leader. This is a leader. He makes between 454 or uh, to 681 liters of wine in that wedding feast. 454 to 681 of these. I mean, that's a lot of wine. It's a feast. You see, the idea was that when the Messiah comes, the land will be filled with, it will be filled. There will be abundance of everything, abundance of goodness. And it's also not surprising then that the Bible ends with this reflection. 
Revelation 21 to 22, the very last chapters of the Bible, is a wedding day. Jesus, our groom, will come. And you know who is his bride? It's the church. The church gets decked out in all sorts of jewelry. And we meet uh, our groom, we meet our Savior, and we meet our Lord. And there is a feast. It's a feast. That day will come. But once again, this feast um, is, was a very, very expensive feast. It's an expensive party. We must know the cost that, uh, uh, the, the, that the cost that God bore to have this uh, party to for the man in this parable to say in verse seventeen, "Come, for everything is now ready. Everything is that is needed to make this feast is paid for." And the parable doesn't say, but we know what it cost God to invite us into this feast. God sent His Son. God sent His Son. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death, so that. The, the things that he gained, he could share with all of us. So that no matter how out of place we feel in this feast, we can say uh, we, we have the right to be there. And if we feel out of place in that feast, Jesus will say, no, 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 he's mine. I paid for him. I paid for him. I invited him. I paid the cost. But when Jesus invites us, this is a reminder in this parable, isn't it? We do have to answer his call. We do have to answer his call. We do have to change our plans. We have to accept the disruptions. We have to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And only those who are humble enough to know that we have no business of being in that feast in the first place will be able to join the feast and will be able to taste his banquet. Let's pray. Come for everything is now ready. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done to get this feast ready for us. And Lord, we pray for people here amongst us in Shatin Church right now, Lord, who have not responded to this call. We pray that you will tug their hearts. You will invite them. Lord, we pray that they'll hand over their lives to you knowing that this is the greatest feast that they're invited to. We pray that they'll come to realize you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, we also pray for the rest of us. Lord, that this isn't something that's theoretical in our lives. Lord, that every day we will shape our lives around you, around your Lordship, that we may bring praise and glory to you. And Lord, we also pray that we will all repent of our self-righteousness. Lord, that it, it may never be the basis of our acceptance in the, into this feast, that we'll never be fooled into thinking that. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to realize our sin, how deep that goes, and how amazing your grace is. Lord, we pray that every single one of us here this morning who are gathered in Shatin Church will be able to share in this feast, the end-of-the-day feast, on the day that you come. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to now respond um, by offering ourselves um, and our gifts to God. And this is, if you're a visitor uh, with us, 
once again, this is really for the church family and the regular church family. Um, this is not for you. Let the basket uh, pass it by. It's, it, it's just great to have you um, here with us. We're going to sing the song, The Stand. Let's stand to sing the song. <laughs>